health and wellness connection TV show. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Irukin. I am here to kind of hopefully bring you some of the latest and greatest news in the health and wellness space. Now, of course, today's episode is going to be very, very special because we have some cool, cool info for you. First up, we got a new set, real dope. And of course, you know, we're here with some new information as well. So, of course, we're going to start off the show with our typical kind of breakdown of this thing they call the coronavirus. Now, again, good news that I do have great news on that end, but it's still obviously something that's going on that's causing a lot of havoc around the globe. Now, of course, we always talk about this kind of coronavirus as far as, you know, what's going on as far as deaths and new infections. But today actually is a very unique milestone, right? We actually have more new vaccinations than new cases. So this is actually a first of a first, really, in this whole pandemic. And it's really a hopefully a positive sign that things will get better as we progress forward. But let's talk briefly about the numbers. The United States is still the number one nation right now as far as new infections. Uh, averaging a little over 80,000 new cases per day, uh, about, about 1,400 deaths as well. So definitely still, again, going on. But the great news is that this is a significant drop than um, this time a month ago. Um, some of the latest data has shown that there's almost a 25% drop in new infections. We're going to go more in detail on that in a bit. But yes, we are moving in the right direction. Combination of hopefully, we, we, um, we believe, between the vaccinations, people getting masked up, and overall increased preparations in treating new treatment options as well is helping kind of reduce some of the spread. So great news on that front. You know, the, the, the virus is spreading less effectively. People are, you know, uh, not getting uh, as sick as they were previously. And, uh, you know, things are looking great. So, yes, numbers are still high, but they are heading in the downward direction. India's number two, avenue about 8,000 new cases per day, about 80, a little under 100 deaths. So they're also doing very well as well. They were doing about 400 plus, you know, about a month ago, so they're improving as well. Brazil, number three nation, 25,000 new cases, about uh, 600 or so deaths per day. So they're also, again, doing their thing and as far as improving the numbers, however, it's obviously still a significant issue. Russia's number four, um, a little over 400 deaths per day, about 15,000 new cases uh, per day. And then the UK, number five, about 14,000 new cases per day with about 300 or so deaths per day. All right, guys, so as we stated, the numbers are dropping really across the country here in the United States and as well as the globe. But here, since this show is based in the United States, we're talking about the United States uh, here predominantly. So we have seen almost a 25% drop in the second week of February as far as new cases of the coronavirus compared to literally a week ago. So, I mean, it's really an extremely um, positive factor here, a positive uh, indicator of an improvement of this entire pandemic. It's believed that as of February, February 7th, Cases have dropped precipitously in multiple municipalities all over the country. California actually has had some of the most, um, you know, largest drops with almost a 50% decrease in new cases from the week prior. As you guys recall, LA has been one of the hot spots for this coronavirus with some of the highest numbers of hospitalizations, deaths and new infections almost throughout the pandemic. So I'm sure the um, health officials in California are very happy to hear the news that new cases are reducing. Now, also, we're seeing these significant drops in other parts of the Midwest, from Oregon. Uh, we got, I'm sorry, from Arkansas, Oregon as well, in the Northwest. Um, we have uh, parts of Puerto Rico. Really, numbers across the country are decreasing across the United States and the country, and the globe are decreasing. But it's definitely a good sign that hopefully, as these numbers continue to fall for a variety of reasons, you know, we will start to go back into the way things were, if you will. 
Now, of course, that whole concept of returning back to things were is kind of a loose statement because we all know chances are there will be some significant changes as far as how we move and operate in society. The biggest concern with the coronavirus is the fact that it's so contagious that, you know, obviously things that we used to do like large mass gatherings, concerts, even simple things as indoor dining are now going to be controversial um, activities. Now, one thing that um, kind of led to, I'm sure you guys recall, as far as how the lockdowns have been initiated, in that there is, there has been a concerted effort to reduce indoor dining, as it was shown to be one of the more, you know, significant ways that the virus has been spread. A Stanford study came out in November of 2019 that actually talked about how, or sorry, uh, November of 2020 talked about how indoor dining are almost considered super spreader events, meaning that the diners are at risk, the cooks are at risk, major D, everyone in the establishment is at risk. It's an indoor establishment so the virus can spread more easily. And so it was considered that indoor dining was relatively unsafe in this pandemic. This has resulted in multiple um, you know, localities shutting down dining, um, much to the uh, chagrin of many restaurant owners who have actually you know, went through quite a bit as far as uh, business, taking a steep decline as a result of these policies. So because of this, you know, this dining issue has been a really you know, uh, concerning and very controversial issue. Many uh, you know, folks claiming that diners should be allowed to choose, others saying restaurant owners are being bankrupted. So it's been a really significant back and forth to decide how much, how aggressive to be when it comes to regulating dining, you know, to consider the pandemic and spreading the virus, at the same time considering the economic uh, fortunes or misfortunes of those who, who may own such establishments. That being said, um, you know, as a result of the pandemic, uh, you know, starting to wane, at least people believe that, that so, there's been a push now to get dining back open. So uh, many uh, groups um, have now looked at ways they could safely reintroduce indoor dining, especially with the, you know, uh, with the uh, with the near with the soon approaching or fast approaching a Valentine's Day, which is a one of the largest indoor dining or dining experiences, you know, uh, given um, all the things that are entailed with Valentine's uh, for the year. So many restaurants are pretty, you know, focused on ensuring they're able to take part in what is typically a bonanza for the restaurant industry. So, but how to do it safely has always been a question that many, you know, health officials and other establishments are looking to answer. So there's a lot of, you know, measures that have been put in place between, um, you know, barriers between uh, dining tables, uh, making sure masks are worn and whenever people are leaving their tables and so forth, you know, have helped, uh, his beliefs have helped to reduce some of the uh, risks and, and dangers associated with dining. That being said, it's still not sure exactly what is truly safe as far as dining is during the pandemic. Now, one of the biggest uh, techniques that many uh, companies and restaurants have tried to pursue is trying to reduce capacity. Uh, many states, for instance, New Jersey, will only allow up to 35% capacity as far as people inside the restaurants to help promote social distancing and reduce potential transmission. Um, also, temperature checks as well are being instituted uh, fairly, fairly commonly now, and a mask used, like I said pre previously, are also being used regularly. So that being said, it's believed that Valentine's Day will still be a huge day for indoor dining. So if you are going to go out and decide to, you know, paint the town red um, for the holidays, be sure you're trying to maintain those uh, policies and, and protocols that will help reduce your risk of potentially getting sick or getting some issues uh, associated with this pandemic during your holiday season while 
You know, it's always good to give gifts. You know, you definitely do not want to give or receive the gift of the coronavirus. Uh, so that being said, um, be safe out there, guys, because uh, it's going to be uh, busy holidays. So you want to make sure you're trying to stay healthy as well during uh, these times. All right, so one of the coolest and kind of interesting phenomenons we've seen throughout this whole pandemic is that levels of the flu have literally went to, you know, almost zero, if you will. They've almost dropped to non-existence. Um, this is something that's never been seen uh, really since the flu has been, has been tracked. Almost 130 years um, that the flu has been monitored has never shown up in levels this low. Uh, typically, um, it's believed that, you know, the flu affects generally about 27 people per 100,000 in a given population during, you know, the height of the season. Uh, however, this season, there's only one in 100,000 people apparently testing positive now. So it's really shocking just how significant, you know, this COVID, you know, pandemic is where even the flu virus has diminished. Now, people believe that the reason why the flu has went down because A, the flu virus is not as contagious as the coronavirus. So, you know, these measures that have been instituted to help reduce spread of the coronavirus has been extremely effective in almost eliminating spread of the flu virus. Social distancing, you know, making sure we're not, you know, you know, you know, wearing our mask and other measures have been extremely effective in, in nearly eliminating the flu. So this goes to show the hardiness of the coronavirus and how, you know, despite all these measures, the numbers of the coronavirus were still relatively high, yet whereas flu, you know, almost essentially disappeared. Now, that being said, the flu hasn't fully disappeared, obviously. It's still there. Um, however, it's, it's definitely a situation where people who get the flu are not really able to transmit it to others due to all the barriers and measures being put in to help reduce spread of, you know, other communicable viruses like the coronavirus and others, you know, that have been put in currently. So, you know, overall, the flu virus is extremely, extremely minuscule now. Some people believe that because the number is so low, who knows if the flu virus may have caught the coronavirus. <laughs> who knows? But, you know, there's a little joke there. But overall, it's pretty interesting how the flu has almost been um, regulated to um, almost an irrelevant status. Now, who knows? Uh, the fact that I'm saying this now is probably going to mutate and turn into something crazy next year. So let's not talk too crazy about the flu. However, it definitely has not been as, a, as prevalent as it has been in previous years. So interesting uh, development there. So just kind of keep track of that because again, the flu hasn't really gone away. It just kind of went to the background, if you, so to speak. A new measure is being proposed by the CDC this week, stating that COVID tests for US domestic flights could help curb the spread. Now it's believed that flying or domestic flights is one of the biggest uh, causes of intra-country spread, if you will, here in the United States. Uh, many people who are traveling from hot spots may go to other parts of the country that may not have spots, spread the virus there, resulting in other further spread of the virus. So it's believed that um, if we were to start testing people or demanding negative tests before people get on flights, this could help curb the spread. So this was actually suggested by the head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Dr. Anthony Fauci has also co-signed this recommendation and feels that this could be something that could be implemented as soon as March of this year. So it's believed that the CDC, along with the Transport Secretary, uh, Mr. Pete Buttigieg, will work with each other to determine whether or not this is something that needs to be done to help ensure the safety of Americans as far as reducing the spread of the coronavirus, or whether or not this may be a little bit much. Now, it is of note that many of the airlines are um, actually pushing back against this whole um, requirement as they believe it will further hamper people's willingness or desire to travel 
um, and it will potentially reduce uh, you know, the growth of their industry. So it's been something that's kind of been going back and forth and we'll see. But again, be prepared. Negative tests for domestic flights may be a thing of the future. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the second half of the Health and Wellness Connection TV show. Now, today's kind of second half is a little different because we're going to talk about a unique topic that's really kind of kind of came across the news wire this past week, and I want to make sure we kind of expound on it because it's a big deal. Well, a recent study came out, it was published in a popular sports journal. Um, it talks about how approximately one-third of Americans potentially may be in a what we call post-concussive type state, okay, meaning that they are in a state that we would typically see in patients who recently had a head injury or concussion. Now, the way I came to this conclusion was that they recently surveyed about 30,000 student athletes and military personnel, some of which who had, you know, um, concussions, they were monitoring their progression, others who were just kind of athletes, they were just, you know, talking to them and seeing how they were doing and what symptoms they were dealing with in general. And it was found that 30% of those patients who actually were, those people who were surveyed were found to have symptoms that were very similarly seen in people suffering from post-concussive syndrome. Now these symptoms include frequent headaches, uh, you know, chronic fatigue, um, just, just drowsiness, and even depression. So these are pretty significant symptoms, and it was found that you know, those who actually were dealing with issues like insomnia or um, increased stress um, were uh, also having similar symptoms seen in concussion syndrome patients. So this is a big deal. And it showed that, you know, even people who had other issues like ADHD or having, you know, migraines, they also contributed to some of the depression and other symptoms seen in kids and college students. And it was sometimes even to, to blame for poor performance in school and other issues. So, you know, this is a really big deal. So it showed that people not sleeping well are actually potentially showing signs of individuals who may have had a head injury or have had a head injury. So hitting your head on the wall may just be as damaging to your brain as literally not sleeping. So it shows that, you know, insomnia is a very serious issue. A lot of people are suffering from it. And we need to really talk about it because if we don't do anything about it, you know, I think more people are going to potentially be at risk for a lot of the dangerous things we see associated with insomnia or the lack of sleep. Now, what is insomnia? We always talk about insomnia. We've talked about sleep here extensively, but let's talk about the flip side, insomnia, the lack of sleep. What is it? So additionally, well, traditionally, it's believed that people, human beings, need about, adults, I should say, need between six to eight hours of sleep per day. So it's believed anything less than six hours at the least could potentially result in harmful uh, issues and other potential increased risk of other chronic illnesses. Uh, it's believed kids need more than that. Between 8 to 12 is recommended for children. Um, this is something that's been, you know, widely spotted about many different uh, scientific bodies. So it's believed that kids, because kids are growing, they're young, they're having a lot of, you know, growth going on, cells are regenerating, developing, they need more sleep to make sure all those bodily processes are going as they should. So as a result, people have, you know, in, you know there's this push to make sure that kids are getting up sleep, adults are getting up sleep, but during this internet era, as we have the more tablets and phones and other devices, people are now foregoing sleep for entertainment. So it's so important we understand, you know, why sleep is something that we should prioritize, and not doing so could result in some pretty significant health problems. So when it comes to insomnia, 
it's very important we kind of understand, you know, what insomnia is and, you know, what parts of, of the puzzle we can look at to determine the types of insomnia there are and make sure we're addressing it appropriately in, you know, your case and the case of many others. So when it comes to insomnia, there's two major types, right? You have your primary insomnia, which is usually insomnia due to a primary issue related to sleep directly. For instance, let's say that you are, you know, have a new bed and the bed is maybe too hard or too soft or it doesn't fit you right. You can't sleep well, you're tossing and turning, you can't get those, you know, two to three hours at least of continuous REM sleep, which is recommended by um, all the sleep experts to ensure that you're getting that restorative sleep that we all want. Um, and you say you're tossing and turning because the, the mattress is bad. Or, for instance, you just traveled and you have jet lag because you were in other part of the world and now you're, you know, 12 hours behind your previous schedule and you can't really adjust to the, the new um, environment. So things like that that are due to a primary issue unrelated to any other physical ailment, usually an environmental problem or issues like that, those are usually typically called primary causes of insomnia or primary insomnia. Like if you're stressed out, you can't sleep because you're just tossing and turning in bed because, you know, some issues are going on at the house or at school. Primary insomnia typically are what you consider those. Now you have another kind of insomnia known as secondary insomnia. Secondary insomnia is typically due to a medical ailment. So you have a medical problem that's physically inhibiting or, you know, restricting your ability, your ability to get a soundful and restful sleep. You see this in people who have medical conditions like sleep apnea or you may have a restless leg syndrome or you know you may have just trouble with like even COVID you have trouble breathing you're feeling short of breath and you can't really sleep it's it's something that we see especially now in this pandemic that you know sleeping from physical issues can have been more of a problem now um, you know people who have this condition you know it's so important that if you're having sleep problems due to a medical condition you need to get a full medical evaluation, ideally from a medical doctor or other medical professional who's able to physically evaluate you and diagnose you appropriately. Um, you know, secondary causes of sleep disorders can be very devastating and themselves can cause other issues. So you wanna make sure if you have a medical problem that's causing sleep problems, you get that addressed immediately because it could cause pretty significant medical problems. Now, we talk about sleep and insomnia and why it's such a bad issue, but what are the real issues behind insomnia? What really can you develop as a result of insomnia that makes it so dangerous? Well, the big thing is that insomnia is significantly linked to inflammation. So if you're not sleeping well, you know, we know sleep causes decreased inflammation. Inflammation, as we stated plenty of times, is that kind of condition that's causing people to have increased risk of multiple medical problems because those inflammation or pro-inflammatory states put you at risk for significant medical ailments, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, which used to be the number one killer of folks per year. Uh, now it's going to very soon be coronavirus. Also strokes, cancer, other issues that, you know, like chronic ailments like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, ulcerative colitis. You know, there's so many conditions that are known as chronic conditions that have been linked to increased inflammation. It's believed that insomnia can promote inflammation. So it's so important that you rectify issues causing insomnia if you're having it because inflammation is one of the biggest problems we are seeing associated with the lack of sleep. All right, in addition to the increased inflammation, there's an incre increased risk of other medical problems like obesity, 
um, hypertension, depression, like we stated previously. So it's so important that if you're having trouble sleeping, you know, you're really making sure you're addressing it because there's so many concerning medical problems that can cause, that can be caused by the lack of sleep. Now, we also talk about the mental things we see with sleep. You have decreased ability to focus. You know, you can't concentrate as well. You can't kind of focus on one task and complete it due to mental fatigue. It's a lot easier when you're sleep deprived. You're also just, your, your brain is not as sharp. It's not as you know, quick uh, with processing information. So, so important. It's, it's believed that people who don't sleep well uh, may have delayed reaction times similar to those seen in alcoholics or other folks who abuse opiates. So, you know, you want to make sure that you know, you're getting your sleep because if not, it could really have a bad or poor effect on your mental, you know, sharpness and quickness. So sleep is so important for that. All right, so we talked about sleep and some of the dangers and, you know, why it's bad, but how do we know if you have sleep insomnia or there's issues that in your sleep trouble? You may be going to sleep at night, waking up and feeling tired, you know, who knows, but, you know, you're not sure what's going on, but what are some of the signs that you potentially could notice that could maybe put you in the category of someone who's not getting enough sleep? Well, are you sleeping? I mean, most people can take a time and see when they went to bed and what time they woke up. Now, if you've seen yourself going to bed and an hour or two you're waking up and you can't go back to bed, you're probably someone who you know, is dealing with insomnia. But some of the signs you would see, though, would be things like you know, sleepless throughout the day. Are you getting tired and drowsy and you know, dozing off like during inappropriate times, like let's say you're driving somewhere or you're in class or you're in church or you're in an environment where like in a you're eating out with friends and you just kind of fall over. So people, you know, who do things like that could be suffering from insomnia. So you want to make sure if you're one of those people, you're getting checked out and making sure you're looking, you're looking into that. Also, if you're increasingly grumpy or you're just kind of, you know, always in a bad mood and you don't know why, you're wake up, quote, unquote, on the wrong side of the bed and you're just not sure what the deal is, but you don't feel happy. Chances are you may not be sleeping well. Grumpiness is in, in, in kind of increased, you know, increase uh, you know rudeness if you will <laughs> could be associated with decreased sleep so definitely you know if you see yourself in a bad mood constantly evaluate your sleep patterns it's possible you're not getting enough sleep are you gaining weight irregularly or you're just always tired those are also the big signs of people who aren't sleeping well you're always sleeping you're always tired you can never feel rested you're just always feeling like you're just behind the eight ball that's a sign of you know potentially having insomnia so you want to check into that and potentially get evaluated if you think you're maybe suffering from that. And uh, lastly, you have appetite issues as well. You like to associate with weight gain, you get hungry all the time, your appetite may be even falling off a little bit. You know, it's not, it's not consistent. That's something that we see a lot of times in patients who have issues with insomnia. All right, so when you have insomnia, you diagnose it, you say, you know what, I have insomnia, I'm not sleeping well, I'm always falling asleep in the middle of the road and stuff, what do I do to treat it? Well, the treatment issue is something that's very complex and has a lot of different solutions, however, the number one solution is to get some sleep. You need to prioritize sleep to make sure that you are someone who can get it. So what does that mean? You mean you have to ensure that you're deliberately setting time to relax and go to bed. A good six to eight hours if you're an adult, eight to 12 if you're a child. Now hopefully your parents are helping you if you're a child, but you wanna make sure you're getting that time as a kid. Now you wanna make sure your sleeping environment you're doing everything you can to maximize its effectiveness in helping you get to sleep, meaning the rooms are dark, the windows are, are, are closed if it's daytime. Night shift workers are some of the biggest issue of people who have issues with insomnia. If you work nights and you tend to sleep during the day, make sure you're in a cool environment with no lights, 
maybe consider earplugs as well as maybe a um, eye covering to make sure that you're minimizing stimulants to affect your ability to really get into that sleep state. So make sure your environment is being optimized for sleep. Can't stress that enough. Same thing is, is important as far as anything in life. If you want something to be achieved, you have to prioritize it. Sleep is no different. And also before you, know, you do all these things, if you're trying to get some sleep, make sure you get a full medical and health evaluation. If you know you're having trouble sleeping, it's been a while, um, get a full evaluation to make sure it's not a secondary cause of sleep that could be, or secondary insomnia that could be inhibiting your ability to sleep. Conditions like thyroid syndrome, restless leg syndrome, sleep apnea, other issues have been notoriously associated with inhibiting sleep in people. So get a full checkup by a medical professional to make sure you are doing the right things to ensuring that you're starting or solving this issue. Now, one thing I always tell people who are having trouble sleeping as well, definitely start looking at improving your physical fitness, getting out, doing physical activities, working out, going to the gym maybe, or just walking like a mile a day or so. Those things can help, you know, kind of work your body, stress it out, so that now it can go into a um, relaxation phase, which can help you go to sleep. Um, one thing that most people will say, especially athletes, when they work out, it's very easy to go to sleep because they get tired of fatigue. That fatigue state is something you see after that initial euphoric state you get after initial workout. That fatigue state or that, you know, kind of, kind of promotes you go to sleep so that you can start the recovery phase, which is something that after working out, you want to make sure you're resting so your body can recover and rebuild those muscles you, you do tear up during a physical activity. So physical fitness is a great way to help you get into sleep because it can help you promote, you know, getting to that sleep phase when you're on the kind of decline of the workout. Now, that being said, you want to make sure you're, if you're working out, you're doing it at least four hours before going to bed because anything sooner, if you're working out and trying to go to bed right immediately afterwards, it may be difficult due to the endorphins and the, ex, the um, stimulants you get that are naturally released as part of the workout process. So after working out, give yourself about three to four hours and then try to get to bed. You'll see it's a lot easier once you're kind of calming down and cooling down and your body's going into the recovery phase to go into that sleep phase. Another thing that works really well is relaxation techniques. I'm a big fan of yoga. Yoga is an excellent uh, discipline to try to study because it can help you work on strengthening and it can help you learn to relax. Learning how to relax and kind of calm the nerves down, relax the body, is a great way to get yourself into that sleep state. So meditation, you know, yoga is a big, is a great way to do that because they really stress meditation and meditative practices in the study of yoga, so that helps. So it's just something that I would highly recommend if you're having trouble sleeping, consider yoga. Try doing some of that. You know, that one you can even do before you go to bed because it can help kind of calm you down and relax you or do whatever you feel comfortable. More, many people do it in the morning as well. And also, you know, we don't push it heavily on this show, but pharmaceuticals do work for insomnia. Now, popular drugs that are commonly prescribed include medications like Ambien, um, Xanax, um, you know, a lot of sedatives that are commonly used as well. And sedatives can be effective because they can forcefully stimulate the body to go into a drowsy state through chemical reactions. Now, um, these can work in the short term. Um, the problem is that long term, these medications can be addictive and do have side effects that can cause other bodily issues. So, you know, I don't really recommend medications unless you're in an extreme dire situation. For instance, you've, you know, unable to sleep for five days straight because, you know, you're just, you know, going through some severe mental anguish and you can't rest, 
maybe you recently had a, a loved one pass away and you can't kind of calm down from that. That's a common reason people, you know, you know, need kind of dire emergent measures like medication. Um, but that being said, there are also very effective alternative treatments you can use for sleep that can be just as effective and uh, without all the dangerous side effects. Now, big um, popular you know, choices that I'm a big fan of as far as natural options for sleep treatment include um, chamomile. Chamomile is an excellent uh, herb. It's a very powerful sedative as well, especially when consumed in a tea form. Uh, some people even make oils out of it, essential oils, and use that in various preparations. That can be very effective in inducing that drowsy sleep state that can be uh, very important for helping you go to sleep. So consider chamomile as well. Um, valerian root is another one, fantastic option as well. A natural herb that can be helpful in inducing that sleep state. So I would highly recommend that. Another big one too is lavender. Lavender is a, is a popular herb. It's commonly processed into an essential oil, which can be, you know, you can drop a couple drops of lavender on a tissue, put it on, on the other side of your pillow, just the aroma from the lavender can be um, very effective in inducing that drowsy state that can help you go to sleep. So lavender, chamomile, you know, valerian root, all those are excellent options for natural herbal ways to help you kind of get into that sleep state. So definitely consider those if you're looking for something uh, in that regard. Other options include acupuncture. Acupuncture is also a popular Chinese uh, discipline that can help kind of stimulate the sleep state. Uh, a couple of studies have shown this science to be effective in that regard. So definitely consider that. Um, you want to see a local acupuncture professional if you are considering that. Um, you know, and just, you know, overall, just taking it easy, you know, guys. You want to make sure that, you know, you're reducing stress as much as you can in your life. You're trying to be proactive and, and, um, and you know, taking care of issues so you're not worked up or having mental anguish. And just trying your best to stay out of, you know, <laughs> stay out of trouble, honestly. Just reducing environmental stress can be one of the best ways to help you you know, achieve, you know, the sleep you need. So uh, that's it, guys, for today's show. Um, this is, you know, the end of this week's episode. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. You know, I'm Dr. Barry, host of the Health and Wellness Connection. Please, guys, if you want to, you know, get this wherever you're at, no matter wherever you are in the world, download an app today. Apple Vibes TV and radio is all in one app now. TV and radio app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Download to your phone. You can stream this show live every Thursday. 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, or you can watch us on demand. So even after the show, you can see the show full, you know, HD production on your phone or your other, um, you know, Apple or Google device. Now, don't forget, we do have the Roku app as well. It's on all streaming, um, sorry, all, on all TVs that support the Roku platform. Get it today. It's only a few $30, $40 at your local um, uh, store. You can get that, hook up to your TV, stream our app, or stream the show via the app on Roku. Last but not least, you can also check out our show on the audio aspect of it via our podcast. So check us out on any podcast um, uh, platform. Just type in Health and Wells Connection. We'll pop up. Subscribe. We're um, uploading shows every week, so you want to definitely get those and stay up to date with the latest health and wellness show. Check us. The podcast link is www.anchor.fm backslash hwconnection. So again, guys, I'm Dr. Barry, the host. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Tune in because we have more hotness for you guys next week.